You know, how many of you woke up this morning and said, today might be a good day for me to be aware of Antichrist? Anybody? It's probably not one of the first things on your mind. And um, as a matter of fact, might not ever be on your mind at times. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, maybe we need to rethink that. Because... Um, God, God's given us a pretty lengthy section here in 1 John. Let's look at it. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. So verse 18 uh, down through verse 27. Hear God's word. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it, is, it has taught you, abide in him. Thinking about Antichrist, when you look at it there, maybe one of the most strategic things you can do for your spiritual growth. And I want us to think that through. Because sometimes we, we've had so much bad teaching uh, in the world today on Antichrist, we relegate it to a whole other category than what we just read. We think Antichrist is some prince that's coming. We think it's the man of lawlessness. Or we think it's the beast of revelation. And we didn't read any of that in First John. And so when we get out in those other categories, we miss what the Scripture is actually teaching and saying. I had a, uh, I get letters like this from time to time. But I got a letter once that said, I understand uh, there's a, a gentleman in our church that has been uh, forgiven of a porn addiction. And that you're still using him in the church in ministry. And that was correct. Um, and so I somehow said to that effect, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful how, how God's changed a person's life. And they said, well, I can't trust that. Can't trust that. I can't trust that this person who's looked at girls wrongly will now look at them rightly. I, I think it's the wrong thing that you're doing to use somebody who's been freed. And I saw that as a denial of the gospel. I said, no, you know, old things pass away, new things have come in Christ. And, um, and then you get other letters that say, well, I understand we've, we've had a, 
an elder who's had an affair or understand we've had a deacon who's had an affair or understand we have a, a woman who's abused her family. You know, it goes on and on and on. Are you using these people in ministry? Is every member really a minister? And are you using these people? And the answer is yes. We are using these people. We've all been deep in sin. And God has been so good to love us and to cleanse us and to forgive us. That's the gospel, that we have a Savior who forgives sinners and then uses us mightily in ministry like he did King David after he committed adultery and murder. Or like the woman who was caught in adultery. He said, I just want you to go and sin no more. We might be in the category of Antichrist when we're in the category of wanting to be against forgiveness, forget, against the ministry of Christ in His church, against what Christ is doing with His people. And we get so caught up in the world, we forget what Christ is really doing and how good and wonderful it is. Sometimes we just want to be against it instead of being for it. I want you to see what the passage is saying this morning. Antichrist, the word in the entire New Testament, is only found four times in the Bible. Only four times. They're all from the same author here. First John and Second John. All four of them. Let's look at them. First John 2.18. Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. You heard that. He says, there are many Antichrists. There it is, found two times. Then chapter 4, verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. In John's day, the Antichrist was there. And then over in 2 John, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one, so it could be a number, but such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now those are your only four options. Those are all the places antichrist is discussed. There are other characters in the Bible called a man of lawlessness in Thessalonians. There is a beast and a prince, prince in Daniel, a beast in Revelation, but that's not the language here. The language here is Antichrist, only four different times. And I want you to see characteristics about the Antichrist that's talked about. We can talk about the other things other times. But let's stick with our text this morning. First of all, I want you to see Antichrist is a multitude, not one individual. You saw that easiest in verse 18. He says, you've been hearing people talk about Antichrist? There are many, many Antichrists. You see that? It's multitude. It's not one, it's many Antichrist have come. Therefore we know, keep going, it says, and just see the plural. Therefore we know that it's the last hour. They, the they represents the Antichrist he's talking about. They went out from us. They were not of us. They had been, had they been of us, they would have continued with us. At the end of that verse, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Uh, down in verse 22, I don't know if I read that one earlier. There's the Antichrist again. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. So anybody in this denial category. So that's first thing. It's a multitude. Uh, it's not one beast, one, one prince, or one man of lawlessness. 
Antichrist, second, is a belief system. They have a system of denying uh, the saving work of Christ. They believe we need something more. We need a certain agenda. Maybe it could be a number of things. Their focus is not on just this full surrender to Christ and full understanding and thankfulness for Christ's saving work. Um, I've had people come to me and blame me for not being perfect, for not being like more like Jesus and helping them out. I had one come uh, wanting me to marry their kids and do premarital counseling. And at some point, I just had to stop the parents and said, you don't want me to do a marriage. And they looked at me and they said, what are you talking about? That's why we're here. I said, but what you described is not a marriage. You want me to do a miracle. I said, I don't do miracles. I'm not that man. I do marriages, but I don't do miracles. I said, you're, you're wanting me to save your kids. I can't save your kids. They need salvation. But you're looking to the wrong person. You need to be looking to Jesus. Jesus alone can save. Jesus alone can perform the miracles. I can't do that. And no one else here can do that either. We, we can't create this belief system that somebody will do something for us. It's Christ and Christ alone. And many times that's where the focus comes. The, the, the Antichrist just keeps denying Christ and his work somehow, as deceptively as it is, to focus on something other than Christ. Third, Antichrist is not political. He's religious. The many are religious. Uh, chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, which means what? They were of us at one point, and then they went out. In other words, the Antichrist are church members. They were members along with us, and then they, they leave us at some point. But the false teaching we get a lot of times is, I mean, I have, I have YouTubed it. And every president in my lifetime has been called the Antichrist. And you can watch the YouTube. He's, that's what I mean. The passage doesn't lead us to say, oh, look at here. This is Obama. Oh, look at here. This is Biden. That's not what the text says. The text says, no, they were church members. They were right here with us. And then they leave their church membership and they depart so that we now know, oh, they're not with us after all. They're religious folks, not political folks, the one that John is referring to. Uh, fourth, Antichrist can be in our past, our present, and in our future. He doesn't just say, the, he said, you heard the Antichrist is coming. You keep getting focused on one individual that's coming. He says, there are many, and they're right now. So if they're right now in John's day, that's our past. They're right now in our day, and they will right now be in the future as well. They're past, present, and future because we will always have them in the church. They're church members among us. Those are the people he's talking to. Now, don't miss verse 26. I might refer to it multiple times, but I just don't want you to miss it. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Now stop and take that in a minute. 
It's like, do you understand me yet? How did he start this passage? Guess the first word, verse 18. Children. Children. The illustration here is Elder John, old man. He looks out at his congregation. This is my children. I might be leaving soon. I might die. I'm sending you out. And I want you to be aware. I want you to wake up in the morning and realize there are people out there who want to hurt you. They want to deceive you. Verse 26. I want you to be aware of this. And it, it is so deceptive, you're going to miss it if I don't tell you and if you don't embrace it. If it were easy, you wouldn't need the Bible. If it were easy, you wouldn't need the preacher. If you were easy, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. He goes through all of this. It's not easy to know the Antichrist. Because they're sitting right beside you and you don't know it. Could be a friend. Could be a spouse. Could be an elder. Could be a deacon. Could be a staffer. And you're missing it. He says, this is serious. I want to, and, and you've done this, those of you who have sons and daughters that you've sent off to college or you sent away from home for some reason, and you say, son and daughter, I think we've done a good job in equipping you. You, you pretty much know what you need to know. But what you don't know is how people will attack because you've been protected. And people will come against you with a belief system that'll trick you to get your eyes off Jesus. And instead of focusing on Christ, you then begin to attack with them and you become against Christ and against His church. And it happens so subtly and so deceptively it's like, let me say again, verse 26. I'm writing because of those who are trying, right now they're trying, to deceive you. Um, it's easy to get sucked in. It's easy. If it wasn't easy, this huge warning would not be in our Bibles. God wants us to know things. So, okay, well, how, do, how do we do it? How do we get aware more aware of Antichrist. So I've, I've put down three things you can be thinking of. Characteristics of the Antichrist. First of all, an Antichrist is somebody whose bent is departure. They're not in church membership for the long haul. Their bent is departure. We saw that. It says uh, if they had been of us, they would have stayed. But because they weren't of us, verse 19 and following, they went out from us. So one characteristic that distinguishes us from them is they are bent on leaving. We're not. Now, I'll try to be as sensitive as I can with church hoppers. Some of you have hopped on in here, right? After you've been at 10 other churches. You know, some people talk about church growth is just circulating the saints. You go from one church to church to church to church to church. Just hop around. Uh, there are righteous reasons for leaving a church. I'm not saying church leaving or church departure is always wrong. It's not. But the 
primarily you join a family, you join a community, and there are going to be troubles, and there's going to be deceivers in that group, and you're going to have to work through things, and you're going to have to find ways to say, Lord, change me, and sanctify me, perfect me, help me get through this relationship that's difficult for me. Antichrist doesn't want to do that. The Antichrist wants to work an agenda, and if the agenda doesn't work here, they're going to take their ball and they're going to go play somewhere else and try to work it there. That's the characteristic we have here of Antichrist. They have an agenda that's against Christ. Some may stay weeks, some may stay years, but that's their agenda. Let's go fight. And they love to fight. Um, We've seen them here. We've not been immune. We've had people come and fight for an agenda. Uh, An agenda for certain kinds of music. An agenda for certain kinds of musical instruments. An agenda for certain kind of dress code. An agenda for certain kind of school, certain kind of education, certain kinds of leadership, uh, certain kind of female leadership or female teachers. People seek agendas for political movement or societal movement through the church. And when they don't get it, they leave. They fight, they fight, they fight. If they keep getting turned down, even if it's nicely, they're turned down and say, well, this just, just doesn't do what I think they need to do. And they want an agenda. And we, as a leader, pray for your leaders, have to constantly be coming back and saying, I hear what you're saying, but we need to focus on Christ. How would Christ do it? What does Christ want us to do? What is it about Christ's agenda that we're not doing? Let's stay focused on Christ's agenda. It's sad to see people go. Sad. I hate it. I love you guys. And I, I learned to love you as soon as I meet you and pray for you. I hate to see you go. But when people have an agenda against Christ and His church, we have to let them go. And it's difficult to do. That's why it says, beware. There are some, that's what they're going to do, and you can't stop it. Um. My, my wife, I didn't tell her I was going to say this, sorry. It just came up. My, my wife's got a bigger heart than me. And when she sees somebody wanting to leave, she said, David, what can I do? What can I do? I'll fix a pound cake. I'll fix banana pudding. You know, it's like we don't want to see people depart. We want to fix it, but we can't if that's their nature. And we've got to realize it is their nature. To push an agenda, to get their agenda, if they can't get their agenda, they're going to leave. Second, be aware, not only they're bent on departure, but beware that they're bent on denial. They want to deny things. What do they want to deny? It keeps coming up. They want to deny Christ. And I don't want you to think about that just as the person of Christ, but they want to deny Christ, who He is, person and work of Christ. The whole person is the Savior. He's the anointed one. Christ means the anointed one came to earth by, sent by God for salvation, for the redemption of sinners. They want to deny that being the focus. And they might want to focus on a political 
movement or a humanitarian movement. The exaltation of a certain race or gender or no gender at all. They want to push, push, push. And we see it, as you start thinking about it, you see it in every church. This Antichrist agenda. I've, I've been trying to wrestle with this and say, God, help me evaluate the agenda a little bit better. Because it's clearly there. And I don't want to be negative and just constantly be evaluating everybody beside me in church. I want to know more of the agenda of the Antichrist so I can... I just see it when it comes up. And, and one thought I had was, when we pray, we express our agenda lots of times. And I thought about, well, that being the case, it comes out in our prayer. Let's look at the prayer of Christ that he taught his disciples. Because that prayer expresses the agenda of Christ. And then you see the things that aren't there is against Christ. It's anti-Christ. So look with me just quickly at Matthew 6. And here's the Lord's Prayer. Famously known that way. It's actually the disciples praying. <clears throat> it's their prayer. But Jesus is the one teaching it. Matthew chapter 6. And begin just kind of looking at the, the uh, passion. Christ says, pray like this. So Matthew 6, beginning at verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So one of his agendas is that when we pray, we're asking God to be honored. God to be glorified. God to be exalted. So, is that our agenda? The ones that's not their agenda, you see, they are against what Christ is praying for. They're against His agenda, His work. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's a kingship. There's a rule of Christ that we pray for now that we know Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and Savior. So we pray for Christ's rule. We pray for Christ to do something. We pray for Christ to fix it and perform His miracles. If, if, if you don't see that in an individual, see, they are against this, which is what Christ is praying for. So you begin to see an agenda of Christ. Um, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. You think about all the responsibilities in this world that you're praying for to get bread. You're praying for the farmer. You're praying for the person who makes the seed, to plant the seed, to water the seed, to, to bring the crop, to harvest the crop, to send it to grocery stores, to somebody to send it to a bread factory, to make the bread, to distribute it, to FedEx it to your house, whatever. You know, it just takes people after people after people. There's an agenda that God has. I have given people callings. I've given them work to do. And I want you to pray that they will work and they will produce what I've Call them to produce. We're all producers of something. And, and we pray for that. That's God's agenda of giving the world this uh, calling so that He can give us the bread He wants to give us. He wants to feed us and provide for us. That's His agenda. We start praying for that. Um, verse 12, and then it's interesting. You get just some quick agendas, and then 12, 13, 14, it's like it's one agenda. It's all about forgiveness. It's all about redemption. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. we got to be strong on forgiving one another. God wants us to do that. Lord, who have I not forgiven today? And you start praying God's agenda 
to forgive and to work with the body of Christ and then to forgive the ones who've sinned against us. And we keep praying that not only are they forgiven, we're forgiven, we don't fall into that temptation again. Verse 13, but we're delivered. God's our deliverer. He's our Savior. So the focus is Christ. And if you forgive, verse 14, others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's just a strong emphasis on this whole agenda of redemption. We are new in Christ. Let's live like it. That's Christ's agenda. You will run into people, many people, that won't have that agenda. They don't have it. They're religious. They're in church. But it's not their agenda. And it's not their prayer. Um, Beware of that strong focus on forgiveness and using the sinners. Anti, it's against. And what I've noticed, the more I pray through the Lord's Prayer and kind of do my evaluating in my mind, a group of people come to me at times and say, this person always wants to condemn instead of forgive. And yet in Christ, there's no more condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. But you see this agenda to condemn certain kinds of people for their dress, for their musical instruments, for the kind of music they listen to. uh, And it just goes on, 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 on. These agendas. And it's so deceptive. Instead of being a person passionate for what Christ is doing, forgiving debtors their debts. And then praying their deliverance from temptation, their growth in sanctification, and the beauty of being forgiven saints together in Christ. Beware of those who are denying Christ His work, departing from His church. And then number three, beware of those who are bent on deception. Again, I said I was going to emphasize in 1 John 2, verse 26. Let me emphasize it one more time. Because this is key. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I've already highlighted highlighted it. But I think God's screaming here. Don't miss this. Deception is a problem. Deception is a huge problem. It's so easy to be sidetracked because you're being sidetracked by family. You're being sidetracked by friends. Fellow members. Uh, Let's don't be negative. Let's don't evaluate everyone. Let's be strong on the forgiveness. Let's be strong on the cleansing work of Christ. Let's be strong on the good news that we can be forgiven. And we can go and we can sin no more. But don't think for a minute there aren't wolves among the sheep. Or there are not tares among the wheat. Christ says, no, no, no. That's going to be that way until I return. And don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Antichrist, they're bent on deception, denial, and departure. Well, is there anything else we can do? Yeah. He doesn't just tell us to be what we need to be aware of, but he gives us two things we can actively be doing that gets us tuned in to the deception that surrounds us. One is abiding, abiding in Christ, and then second, an anointing that we have 
It's the Holy Spirit coming to us. First of all, the word abide. Look at verse 24, 25. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. So there's the Bible in us. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and Christ and in the Father. And this is the promise. This abiding leads to eternal life. Uh, and then it's also the last phrase of verse 28. Just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Abiding is crucial. Why? Antichrists don't do it. They're against it. Antichrists don't abide in what they're against. But true believers, how can I distinguish? True believers are those who are abiding in Christ. That's why it's important that we have some sort of Bible reading plan. This some sort of discipleship plan that we're growing in Christ. Some sort of prayer life. Constantly praying, getting into Christ's word, praying Christ's word back to Christ. This is, this is abiding lifestyle. That's all it is. You could do it differently than me, and I could do it differently than you, but it's still an abiding. Antichrists do agendas. They don't do the abiding we need to have in Christ. Let me give you a good example. Jesus illustrates this wonderfully. Uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And very popular section, but sometimes we don't read the whole illustration here, and so uh, we take it out of context, make it mean lots of things. But um, uh, John chapter 8, verse 31, here's Jesus' uh, teaching. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, okay, there's your audience, it's Jewish people for the most part, and they're called believers. He said, I'm writing to the people who believe, okay? Now, he distinguishes very quickly between those who believe and those who truly believe. So there's two kinds of believers, or those two kinds of church members. They're all saying we're church members. We're all in the family of God. We're all believers. Jesus is going to deal with this. If you, the next phrase, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. So you see, distinguished real quick. I know you would all sign up and say, we're, we're believers, we're Christians. He says, but I know, and by the way, you can follow this through the Gospel of John. Jesus is very good at knowing who believes and who really believes. He's very good at it. And he looks out at his audience and says, some of you, you all say you believe. But some of you really believe. Some of you not so much. Verse 32, and you will know the truth. So, those of you who abide, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And there's a verse that's so popular, everybody uses it. Yeah, truth will set you free. And people mean so many different things by that. It means you're free to play a musical instrument. You're free to win a basketball championship. You say, well, I hope so, you know. Uh, what are we free to do? Think about what he's, who he's talking to. People who say they believe, some of the crowd, maybe many in the crowd, don't believe truly because they're not abiding. If they were abiding, then they would believe truly and then they would be set free. Free for what? Well, let's keep reading. This is where the illustration starts to kick in. 
They answered him. So here's the Jews. They Dialogical preaching. He preaches. They talk back. Cool. They answered him. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved or not free. Enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I mean, when I first thought about that phrase, I laughed. Are, really? That's what you've got to bring to Jesus? We're Abraham's offsprings. We've never been a slave. Did you not read your Bible? The Jewish people were slaves for over 400 years in Egypt. What do you think redemption was all about? It was about coming out of slavery. You dudes have always been a slave. And we're not slaves. We've never been bound in a, a day in our life. That's not our heritage at all. Jesus doesn't even deal with it. Because he wants to get them to redemption. He wants to get them to their bondage. He's not talking about physical slavery. He's talking about spiritual slavery. Notice where he takes them. Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is the slave. That's where he wants to go. It's not about you being physically in bondage or physically being free now to do something with your bodies. I want to talk to you about your freedom to express your love through your heart. You're in bondage to sin. You're actually practicing sin. And then he describes it. Verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. See, Jesus is in his church. He's in his house. But this group he's talking to who are spiritual slaves, they've been on departure. They leave at some point. Verse 36, so if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You're free to stay in the house. And he's going to show us why. Um, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. I already knew that. Yet you seek to kill me, Antichrist. You seek to destroy the person and work of Christ. You will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. This is where I am. Verse 37. You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. She's not abiding. That was my point. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. So you're against the truth that I speak, the truth of Christ, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me, wouldn't be anti-me. I came from God, and I'm here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desire. Perfect illustration of Antichrist. Jewish people in church 
sitting right beside everybody else in church, convinced they're believers, convinced they got the right heritage, convinced they've got eternal life. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You don't. And the reason you don't is you're not abiding. You're not in me. You don't even want to hear me speak. You won't even acknowledge that you need redemption from sin. And that's what you need most of all because you're in bondage. They say, we're not in bondage. Yes, you are. You're held by sin. It holds you in its grasp. And it doesn't allow you to surrender to Christ, to be free to Christ, to worship Christ, to be adoring God because He has sent Christ for your redemption. You're not free. You're still a slave to sin. And you will find that you will always be a slave to sin until you are out of your bondage. And only one can free you, and that's Christ, which you keep denying. And want to push an agenda that you're good, you're okay, because Abraham's your father. And you're just missing it. Well, I don't want us to miss it. Understand the importance of seeing the fruit of abiding in Christ, His Word. How that is showing us. God's given us that hunger and that thirst for Christ that it frees us. If, if you get into the Word rightly, you're convicted of sin and you grow to be more and more like Christ. It just opens up a freedom. Oh, I can say no to this sin? Now I have power? Now I can, can walk and be for Christ and for His church, for what He wants? What a joy and a beauty. And that comes through not only abiding, but through anointing. Let's look back at anointing. 1 John chapter 2. Interesting too, this word anointing found three times here. It's rare any other place, really, in the scriptures, in this particular Greek word, charisma. Um, you know, I've gone preach other places. People say, oh, we had this person, we had that person. They have a real anointing. I said, okay, what does that mean? Most people define it the same way. It, it means the Holy Spirit's moving in that person. In a very significant and great way. But the Bible says all of us who are believers have this anointing. It's not just a few people who have really have it. All who are believers have this anointing. Verse 20 says, um, you have been anointed. You have. By the Holy Ones. The Holy Spirit thing. And you all have knowledge. So this Spirit comes into us. His presence is His anointing, and it grants us a knowledge we didn't have before. So that's one place. Verse 21, I write to you not because you do not know the truth. So there's something the Spirit's doing to teach us this truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies Christ. So this anointing allows us to know truth, this truth that sets us free from the bondage of sin. And then... Uh, Last, verse uh, 27. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything. And it's true. And it's no lie just as it was taught you. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't call people, specific people, to be teachers. It doesn't mean you don't need a teacher. It doesn't mean you don't need a preacher. What it means is you have a conviction of truth now. 
not talking about the formal process of teaching. Let me show it to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. A distinction Antichrist don't have, a distinction those who are not true believers don't have. We have the Holy Spirit in us, um, and He imparts to us wisdom and knowledge we wouldn't have without Him. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, sake of time. Let me just read one quick verse, verse 6. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Mature believers get more wisdom, though it's not the wisdom of this age. He's, he's making a distinction. Jump down to verse 12. It says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, if you don't have the spirit, you're not going to understand this. It says, we've been given an anointing. doesn't use the word anointing here. We've been given the Spirit. The Spirit is anointed. It's, it's, uh, he's on us, rests on us, comes into us. That's our anointing. And this Spirit enables us to understand things freely given us by God. Just as Jesus gave wonderful truth to that congregation in John 8, some of them didn't believe it. They didn't have an understanding of these things that were freely given. But the others had an understanding and they got it. Why is it when you read the Bible, you say, oh, that's wonderful. You love it and you grow, you turn from sin, you turn to Christ. It's because of an anointing. The Holy Spirit is taking the blinders off your eyes and allows you to see and understand what God wants you to freely have. Verse 13, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I went to church all my life, and I heard the Bible all my life when I was younger, but I didn't understand it, didn't care to understand it. I had my own agenda for going to church. We won't get into that, but anyway... Uh, just thinking it through, when the Holy Spirit came, all of a sudden, the words come to life. And I say, God has freely given me a message. And you start to understand, it's because the Spirit is teaching me. And the Spirit is in me. Verse 14, the natural person, meaning the non-Christian person without the Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. And he's not able to understand this because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's our anointing. It's the, it's, it's the mind of Christ given us by the Spirit. When we read his words, say, oh, this is what Christ is saying. This is what Christ wants me to do. This is how I need to respond. It's, it's a spiritual life, and it frees us from the grasp of sin and focuses us on Jesus. Antichrist doesn't do that. Antichrist focuses on agenda and condemnation of sinners and not on the things of Christ. I'll give you one quick ex example. It's easy to grieve or quench the Spirit just to try to make one more example of how do you distinguish the Christian from the non-Christian? Let's suppose 
you come in with an agenda. And the agenda is that, uh, well, church's pretty good here. I like it. I've been here a while, and I like it pretty good. But uh, it's just too loud. It's just too loud. I just, I just don't like how loud it is. What do you mean it's too loud? You preach too loud. Okay. Uh, anything else? Music. Music. Too loud. Too loud. Yes. Where do you get that? What, what, what's the Bible verse or scripture you're thinking about? And sometimes I'll get the answer. Well, I think the Bible says we should be still and know that he is God. I said, okay, that's Psalm 46, verse 10. And what it's talking about there is not about volume. It's talking about not aggressively trying to fix it yourself. God says, I'm your warrior. I fight your battles. Still, let me do it. That's what that passage is about. It has nothing to do with volume. What else, what else bothers you? Well, I just think we should be a little more reverential. Okay. Um, how about you do me a favor? Why don't you read through the book of Revelation? won't take you long. It's 22 chapters. Revelation is pretty exciting. And as you read through, just circle the word loud for me. As you go through, you'll know you've succeeded. You'll find the word loud 21 times in the 22 chapters of Revelation. And as you circle that word loud, just right beside it, whether that person was a sinner, that was loud, or a saint. Come back, tell me what happens. And they come back and they do the study, and they said, wow, I never saw that. Loud, 21 times in 22 chapters. The voice of the archangel was loud. God was loud. The saints around the throne are loud. The mighty angel was loud. The thunder that God introduces himself with is loud. The music is loud. The singing is loud. And it just goes loud and loud. And I said, why does God, is, does God think he, we're deaf? You know, why is he so loud? And the believer, see the difference, the believer says, oh man, this, i got to study this more. It will push me to be more expressive. It will enhance my worship to think this thing through. The Antichrist, ah, I don't like that. We shouldn't be loud. You see, they just keep pushing their agenda. They're not being taught. They don't have the anointing of the Spirit that's convicting them to go someplace they've never gone. Into the truth. They don't abide in that truth. They don't want to say, well, I just want to dwell down. I want to dig down here and hear my God speak. That's how you know the difference. That's how you can evaluate your own self. If you find yourself in the Antichrist category this morning, there's no glory. No glory there. Why? Because Christ wins. If you're against his agenda, if you're against him in any way, you're going to lose. He always wins. So join the winning team. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. He's the victor. He's the only one who can promise eternal life and deliver on his promise. As it's been said earlier, John 14, 6, He's the way, the truth, the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. He's the only door. He's the only way. He's the only entrance. 
We must be surrendered to Christ, abiding in Him, anointed by His Spirit to be all for Him. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge at the beginning we didn't wake up thinking about Antichrist, but now we are. Because you're your dad. You care about your children. And you send us out into the world. And we saw in the previous section, the world is full of people who are prideful. Who set their mind on arrogant things. And arrogant agendas. And it's so easy to get sucked into their world because we love them already. Their family and friends and neighbors. Father... Thank you that you care that we be not deceived. Thank you that you don't want us wandering around aimlessly. You have left us your spirit to anoint us with an understanding of scripture that makes us fruitful anytime we abide in you and in your word. Father, forgive us for the times we've gone astray, for the times we've not been alert. For the times when we've been deceived because we didn't use the tools you gave us. And draw us back to Christ, his great love for us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.